Well, how many know the name Joe DiMaggio? Oh, yeah, no doubt. One of the largest legends in baseball. He uh, was just an amazing baseball player. And he achieved everything that this world would say you need to achieve in terms of notoriety and wealth and personal accomplishment and success and even got buried at Marilyn Monroe for 274 days. <laughs> yeah, but a book came out after Joe's death. He lived until he was 83. And the book detailed a very different Joe DiMaggio that many people knew. Again, most people just loved Joe DiMaggio. The news media was all over him in a positive way, and people would give him a round of applause if he walked into a restaurant. But what the book revealed is that uh, he was very selfish, that he was very egocentric, that he was very greedy. It was all about money and power in his life. And what Joe was doing throughout his life, it seems, is that he was heavily involved in image management. There was a true Joe DiMaggio. At the same time, there was the false Joe DiMaggio that he presented to the world. He was pretending. He's pretending to be somebody that he wasn't. And to be honest, we all struggle with that, don't we? We have our true self, but then we have sometimes a different self that we present to the world because we don't think the world would like our true self. We're going to explore that this morning as we talk about how Jesus can reveal our true self, as we continue in our series, Jesus Can Revolutionize Your Life. In fact, you have two postcards in your program today, and we encourage you to give those out to people, invite them. If you have enough postcards, you can just leave them on the chairs, and we'll pick those up. But if you can find a need, somewhere to put them, someone to give them to, we want to continue to let people know that Jesus can revolutionize their lives. We're in the midst of this series, and uh, emotionally healthy spirituality is the theme of it. This is a church-wide initiative. We're talking about this for the next eight weeks. We just started last week, so if you're new, you can easily catch up on the series. Uh, The youth group is talking about it. The college kids are talking about it who are meeting together the young adults. Uh, This is when we immerse ourselves in a certain theme. And this year we've chosen some resources written by Peter Scazzaro. And he's a pastor in Brooklyn. And just has a real gift for being able to take biblical truth and present it in a way that helps us to understand it and helps us to apply it to our lives. So I just want to encourage you to fully engage by being here every weekend, making it a priority, uh, by buying the book, Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality. And just a clarification, I'm glad somebody came up to me. Uh, the first three chapters were for last week. That was kind of an introduction. Uh, so in preparation for today, you should have read chapter four. All right, chapter four. 
For next week, you should read chapter 5. So hopefully that will clear some things up. So today, chapter 4 doesn't talk about David and Goliath, which we're going to talk about today, but it talks about the same theme, the fact that we need to know ourselves in order that we might know God. Another resource I would really challenge you to have is the Daily Office. This is a devotional that goes along with the series. And one of the key spiritual disciplines we need to practice in order to grow in the way I'm challenging you is silence and solitude. Being alone and spending time with God in silence. Meditating on His Word. Listening to Him. And this resource will help you do it. It explains it. It's not a legalistic type of thing. Like there's three different times that this resource encourages you to spend time with God. And you might not be able to do that. Do two of them. But this is where the hard work is going to take place in terms of you hearing from God and then you taking action on what He asks you uh, to do. And then, of course, we encourage you to be involved in small groups. That's very important because that's where you're really going to process through some of these issues that we're going to be talking about. And this is not going to happen overnight, guys. This is not just a one sermon or even one series focus. This is something that you need to practice on a daily basis for the rest of your life. And hopefully this is going to give you a great jump start. If you're in financial need, you can fill out one of the green inserts at the small group table and you'll receive a discount on the books because we don't want money to keep you from buying uh, these particular resources, we want you to be a part of this. And, and again, it's hard work. Uh, how many love having a physical workout? Just love to work out. So, yeah, okay. Majority of us know it's not really our favorite thing to do. <laughs> but it's something we do because we know it brings uh, physical health. Well, what we're talking about with this series is that it's going to be work. You have to set time aside. You need to open up your heart. You need to let Jesus work within your interior life. And that's not easy to do sometimes. Uh, but again, it's going to bring spiritual health and joy into your life. Some of the uh, different messages that we're going to be looking at, we talked last week about the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. <clears throat> Today, know yourself that you may know God. Uh, next week, going back in order to go forward. Number four, journey through the wall. Uh, the week after that, enlarge your soul through grief and loss. Then discover the rhythms of the daily office and Sabbath. And then grow into an emotionally mature adult and go to the next step to develop a rule of life. And then we're going to have a summary week at the end, the week before Thanksgiving. So I am so excited about this fall. I, I just love to interact with Scripture and the resources. God is teaching me so much. And I would encourage you uh, to jump in. And be a part of it. Now, <clears throat> to fully understand what I'm going to be talking about today, we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created perfect. There was no sin within them. They had the choice to sin, but for a particular amount of time they did not sin. And so therefore they were the same inside and out. Let's look at this graph that we've looked at before of the iceberg. Our exterior life is what people see. Our interior life are our thoughts and motivations and desires uh, that sometimes we don't even reflect upon. We're just on autopilot and we just go ahead and we don't reflect, you know, is that the right thing to do or those kind of things. Or sometimes we'll reflect a little bit, 
But that's really, of course, what determines our exterior life. And then you have the subconscious, which we're not aware of, but that also influences uh, every other area of life. The tremendous thing is that God knows us perfectly. God knows our exterior life, our interior life, and subconscious. He knows us, He loves us, and He accepts us. But He wants to do a new work in our lives. Of course, the first thing that needs to happen is that you need to have new life in Jesus Christ, which means that you need to realize that you're a sinner, that there's no way you can work your way to God. There's a penalty for sin. Jesus Christ paid that penalty on the cross. And you need to accept that free gift of salvation that He gives you. That's what the Gospel is all about. That's where you start. You can't get anywhere without first humbling yourself before God and receiving that free gift of salvation. And we encourage you to continue to explore uh, that decision if you haven't made it. But that's where it begins. But then, after that, there's this restoration process that God is doing in our lives. And so what what Jesus wants to do is He wants to get into our interior lives. And we need to let Him in. We can be saved, but we can say, Jesus, no, I don't want to listen to You about my feelings and my emotions and my beliefs about things and the way I approach life. There's a lot of Christians that just kind of cruise along on autopilot and they say, okay, I have a relationship with God. And there's others that go a little bit into the interior life. They'll let a little area of... Jesus to come in, but then they're compartmentalized. They have other areas that they say, no, Jesus, you can't come into this area. If you're really going to have this dynamic relationship with Christ, you've got to say, Lord, open up my life. I know I don't even want it open, but open me up and show me where I'm weak. Because, again, we all struggle with the false self. We, we sometimes are, are somewhat aware. I mean, I, I think the majority of people don't even know who they really are. They don't really know who they are in the sense of of what drives them and what their motivations are. and They just don't think about life. They just move through it. Well, God wants us to know who we are. That's the only way we can truly have a deep relationship with God. If we know who we are, we know the good and the ugly, and the good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, if we're aware of uh, how God has gifted us and made us unique, there's many beautiful things about us within us that God wants us to discover and validate. And there's things, of course, that He needs to clean up, but many times we just don't take the time to get to know who am I? Who am I in Jesus Christ really is the, the bottom line. Because that's what Jesus Christ wants to do, is He wants to get inside our interior life, our thoughts and our mind, our thoughts and our desires, And He wants us uh, to clean house, one might say. He wants to transform us. He wants us to confess sin. He wants us to get rid of sinful messages that we've received in the past. And Jesus Christ needs to become our identity. Our identity needs to be based in Him. That's the only way we can truly be transformed in every way. Saying that I live for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lives in me. He lives through me. He empowers me. He guides me in every way. Uh, That's our goal, to become more like Jesus every day through Jesus Christ's power. But we've got to let Him in. And so many times we're so busy, we're so much on the run, so much trying to do what we want to do, that we don't take that time to listen to Jesus, to meditate upon His Word, to again let Him in. 
and really let him do the heavy work that needs to be done to bring true change so that our identity is not what other people think of us. Because when your identity is not bound up in Jesus Christ, that you're a child of God and that you're living for Him and that you're, you're worthy just because you're a child of God, then your self-worth comes from the world. So you, don't, you, you want to put on an act. You want to put masks on. You want to, you want to pretend. Like Adam and Eve, they were made perfectly, but then they sinned. And that broke up everything. I mean, they were totally transparent with one another and with God, and everything was unified. But when they sinned, that is when they were broken inside. There wasn't any unity inside. And that's when they started to put the masks and the fig leaves on because they were ashamed. They, they didn't want God to see them like this, lied to God. Again, all that comes because we're trying to cover up who we really are instead of letting Jesus Christ come in and deal with who we are so we can be more like Him and find our identity with Him. But if we continue to operate like the world operates, we're going to continue to try to present this false self to the world. And, and we all do it to whatever degree, some more than others. So let me go through some things here that will give you an idea of how much you're living out a false self. So these are false self symptoms. The first is, I say yes when I really mean no. You don't really want to do something, but you feel the pressure from another person and you want to, again, keep them happy for whatever reason. Number two, I get depressed when people are upset with me because my self-image is based upon what people think of me. Number three, I have a need to be approved by others to feel good about myself. Again, my self-esteem and self-worth is not based on the fact that I'm a child of God. That's not where the strength comes from. I'm seeking strength from other people and how they feel about me. It's an external type of self-identity that can be very dangerous because obviously people aren't always going to be crazy about you and they're going to control your life. Number four, I act nice on the outside, but inside I can't stand you. <laughs> Again, I don't encourage you to go through the week and instead of being nice, just say, I can't stand you. <laughs> Not the best move. But the point being is that you need to identify that that's how you feel about people. And, and then you need to let Jesus Christ into that and say to, say to God, hey, I can't stand this person. I don't want to be around them. I'm angry at them. Uh, I'm bitter towards them. Can you help me work through this, Lord? Can you teach me what, what you want me to do in regards to my relationship to that person? Number five, I often remain silent in order to keep the peace. Again, you, you want other people's approval, so you don't want to rock the boat, right? When you really should rock the boat sometimes because something is rotten in relationships. Number six, I believe that if I make mistakes, I myself am a failure. So if I'm trying to have this persona that I'm trying to give out to people, if I make any mistakes whatsoever and somebody looks at me and catches it, well, what are they going to think of me? Well, friends, if your identity is in Jesus Christ and that he is uh, your, uh, that God is your father, and that uh, you're deeply loved by him. You're going to make mistakes, and you're going to say, "Yeah, I made mistakes. Uh, they might be sins. Uh, you need to confess those." But again, the more you're rooted in Christ, the more of a balanced approach you're going to have in life. Number seven, I criticize others in order to feel better about myself. Yeah, I mean, if everything's dependent upon what other people think about me, I'm going to. 
point out the uh, you know mistakes in other people's lives, the weaknesses, so other people will think that I'm uh, got my act together. Number eight, I avoid looking weak or foolish for not having the answer. Number nine, I have to be doing something exceptional to feel alive. I have to really be impressing people. Number ten. I have to be needed to feel alive. That's a big one. A lot of people are codependent on other people, and that's where they get their self-esteem from, that somebody else needs them. Their life gets way out of balance because they're always meeting other people's needs because they're dependent upon them for their self-esteem and not God. Number 11, I am fearful and can't take risks. Number 12, I do what others want so they don't get mad at me. Number 13, I use knowledge and competence to cover my feelings of inadequacy. Number 14, I want my children to behave well so others will think I'm a good parent. Uh, we've all been there, right? <laughs> you know, then you have a big fight on the way to church. Everybody's yelling, okay, we're going into church now, all right? Everybody be good. I don't care if you don't talk to any of the family. Just, you know, act Christian. <laughs> <clears throat> Number 15, I compare myself a lot to other people. You see the trap here? If you're trying to grab your self-esteem and self-worth from what other people think and measuring up to the world standards, you're always going to be disappointed. You're always going to feel inadequate. You've got to let Jesus Christ in and, and meditate upon this book and realize that you are special just because God made you. And God loves you, and God has saved you if you've made that uh, decision. Now, let's unpack this a little bit further. Let's take a look at the life of David. Now, last week we looked at the life of Saul. And Saul, well, he was just on that exterior level, right? He didn't let God into much of the interior of his life. He didn't listen to God. He disobeyed God. He kept blowing through stop signs. And ultimately, it led to his destruction, now, David, David was a shepherd. And not that shepherds are that spiritual, per se. They didn't have the greatest reputation. But the fact was that he spent a lot of time alone, uh, day, evening. And he would use that time to do the interior work in his life, to let God in. Uh, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, he says, Lord, I want you inside my life. Now, David was just as much a sinner as anybody else. But uh, when he was walking with God, uh, he was close to God and he knew God. And God was the foundation of his life. God was where his self-esteem came from. And he had a lot of internal strength. That's, where, that's where, you know, When you think about everything that can happen in life, all the things that can go wrong, terrible things, losing a child, losing a spouse, whatever. I mean, just unbelievable things that people experience. You see, friends, every day we need to be preparing for whatever might happen to us. And the best way to do that is to have a solid foundation with God, letting Jesus into the interior so he can rearrange our priorities, so he can clean up things that we'll talk about as we go throughout the series. You've got to let Jesus in. So the question is, how much are you letting Jesus in to the interior part of your life? Are you just kind of saying, okay, God, you've got this portion, but I'm continuing to move because I've got a lot of things to do, and uh, it's a very important distinction in regards to what you're doing there. So uh, David has a very strong interior life, 
and uh, he is tending sheep. And Samuel has just told Saul, as we talked about last week, that you're no longer going to be the king because you are disobedient. You keep disobeying God. So Samuel is called to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has eight sons. And his job is to find the next king. God is going to tell him who it is, and it's one of, the son, one of Jesse's sons. So seven sons are there. <clears throat> David is out in the field. So uh, they get together, and Samuel meets each of the sons, and he determines none of them are God's chosen. So he says, do you have any other sons? <laughs> I mean, God said that the king was here. And Jesse says, oh, well, there's David, but he's out in the field taking care of sheep. He's the run of the family. Nobody cares really about him. He didn't say this, but that's kind of what we get. You know, we didn't bring him in. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, usually it'd be Eliab, the, the eldest son to be chosen, or one of the firstborn, second, third, whatever. But David? No way. Well, they bring David in, and sure enough, that's the one that God wants because God wanted a man after his own heart. He wanted someone where that person was cultivating the relationship in their heart. And that's what attracted him. Uh, that, that's what, again, made David uh, the next king. Well, you can imagine how the other brothers thought about that, right? That's a real way to build relationships with your siblings, right? I'm going to be the next king. Now, David wasn't uh, like Joseph in that way, per se. But, uh, again, I think they already had bad relationships for whatever reason because he was a run of the family. Uh, but this made it even worse. They were really ticked off at David and very angry and bitter against him, which we'll see in a moment. So there's this huge battle going on between the Philistines and the Israelites. They're always fighting. <laughs> These countries were always fighting back and forth, and the Philistines were one of their favorites. So they had a different type of battle. It was a representative battle. I know you guys have heard this story a lot, but let's look at it in a different way. Uh, you had this big valley they were in. It was like a mile long. And you had uh, the Israelites on one side, the Philistines on the other side. And for some reason, they agreed that it would be a representational battle where one person, just one person from each side, would battle it out to the death. And whoever won, that means that they won the war, in a sense, and that everyone from that country would be now servants or slaves to the other countries. So if Goliath won the battle, that meant uh, that everyone uh, would be in Israel would be slaves to <coughs> slaves of the Philistines. So I mean, these stakes were really, really high. And I don't, I just can't imagine that uh, the Israelites knew about Goliath. They would have never agreed to this one, right? They said, no, we're not doing that. You got Goliath. I don't know where they were hiding him. <laughs> they get out there and, and Goliath comes out. This guy's nine feet tall, right? A serious basketball player, no doubt. And he just dominates the field. This guy is incredibly strong. He walks around with 125 pounds of armor. He's got a a javelin tip that weighs 25 pounds in itself, incredibly strong. And we read here in the passage, uh, David had gone to help his brothers by giving them food. He was just on a food run. That's the only thing David was doing at this particular time. But he was hearing what was going on with Goliath. Uh, it says, as he was talking with them, David, that is, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. So this guy... Goliath would come out twice a day and challenge 
the Israelites and defame the name of God. And David just happened to be there when it happened. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great terror. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, none of them wanted to die that day. So they decided, let's get away from Goliath. <laughs> let's run, 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 you know. And uh, David, he's wondering, what is going on here? We are the Israelites. God uh, is our God, Jehovah. Uh, what, what's the problem here? So when the Israelites saw David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So Daniel is ticked off. He cannot believe that uh, these Israelite uh, soldiers are not doing anything about this. Here this guy continues to trash the name of Jehovah and nobody's doing anything. Nobody's going out to fight him. So he's saying, what's going on here? Why is this guy continuing to come out day after day? In fact, he had come out 40 days at this particular point. Twice a day for 40 days. He gives this challenge, and they were all kind of shaking in their trenches, and it was just a sad situation. And so David says, well, what does this guy get who defeats Goliath? Well, you got two things. First of all, I got Michael, Saul's daughter. Now, that turned out to be no reward at all. <laughs> See you later on as you study it. Uh, the second thing is that uh, you didn't have to pay taxes for life. Now, that's something that we'd be interested in, right? But David wasn't really interested in the reward. He just wanted to know what was going down. So David, as we know, did go against Goliath. But he had some obstacles in the way that we haven't thought about. Uh, first of all, he had his family. His family was giving him pushback, saying, you can't do this. Secondly, you had people in authority like Saul saying, hey, you can't do this, significant others with authority and experience. And then finally, you had Goliath. He had to face him, but he had to cut through the first two obstacles even to get to Goliath. So let's take a look, first of all, at how his family was discouraging him uh, from doing this. So we know that they couldn't stand David. So David had gone there to deliver food, and Eliab, the eldest, speaks up. And this is a guy who's most ticked because he thought he was going to be king. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. He was just so bitter against David. And I can imagine the other boys were too. And the eldest led the way. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? <laughs> what happened to your little flock, you know, Mary? <laughs> Why aren't you back taking care? You don't belong here. This is where men do battle. You shouldn't be here. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Oh, you, you came down only to watch the battle. Well, friends, uh, we're talking about some real encouragement here. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you can do it. Nobody else wants to go out there. So maybe maybe wanted them dead. I don't know if <laughs> you gave him that type of encouragement. But uh, there was no encouragement coming from them. And I would think that David never got encouragement from his brothers. He was the run out doing 
the shepherd work. They didn't even call him in when they were trying to find a king. Samuel was visiting. Uh, he was just an afterthought. Nobody noticed David. Nobody wanted to do anything with David. Now, if David had not been grounded in God, if his self-esteem had not been found in Jesus Christ, his self-worth, the fact that he, uh, God that is, before Christ came, uh, but that he was uh, you know, important and valued by God, he wouldn't have gone out there and say, oh, yeah, you're right, I'm not worth anything. Uh, but because he'd been cultivating his relationship with God, opening up that interior life, he had a real confidence. Well, friends, you know, we all deal with this in life, don't we? Uh, our families of origin, and even the best families, uh, without even knowing it. We, we teach our children there are certain things that they need to do in order to present this false self. We say you can't prevent your, present your true self. Uh, but you've got to be a certain way. Some, some families say, well, it's all about performance. It's all about what you do. You know, if you really perform, then life is going to treat you right. So we're going to watch your performance. And you know families like this. It's all about grades. It's all about, you know, accomplishments on the sports field or in any other area. And, and that's when the kids get rewarded. So they learn, okay, it's all about what I do. And they live their whole lives like that. Other, other families say, well, it's all about what you have. It's all about your possessions. It's all about your toys. And they communicate that to their kids. So their kids say, well, if I'm really going to enjoy life and please my parents. Uh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make a lot of money and I am going to get the nicest house and all those, whatever the toys are, that's going to bring that kind of satisfaction. Uh, and then other families say, well, it's all about what other people think. You know, people need to like you. Uh, people need to be impressed with what you do. So, again, you need to get your self-esteem from the world. And some of these things are so subtle that we communicate to our kids, but they grow up with that expectation. Okay, that's what life, life is about. I've got to perform. I've got to be popular. I've got to have possessions, whatever it might be. There are also certain rules within a family, uh, like uh, you can't show certain emotions. That emotion is out of bounds. Now, like anger, ang you know, you should let your children get angry. Now, if they manifest in the wrong way and it comes out uh, in a sinful way, well, then you need to deal with it. But anger is a part of life. You know, we, we need to get angry. Okay? It's a God-given emotion. But some families shut that down, and so kids learn, I can't get angry, and they carry that through life. Uh, some families say you can't be weak or vulnerable. So the kid's feeling weak or vulnerable, but he can't express it, so he learns, okay, I can never tell anybody about my weakness are my vulnerabilities. And for some of you, this is a very painful topic because you grew up in homes where you were never encouraged, where you're always put down, uh, always criticized. Uh, your parents never said they loved you or they never even showed it in any particular way. Maybe your parent didn't care about you. Maybe your Dad took off, and you have no clue where he is. I mean, it goes on and on. Verbal abuse. All, I mean, oh, so much junk down here in the interior. So painful. I'm sorry if that's been your experience. And again, all that does is, is promote weakness. And the idea that if I'm, I'm dependent upon other people, well, you know, I'm nothing. But that's the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus is that he can restore all that that he can work through all those emotions and 
And so you need just to get along with God and say, God, help me. I got a lot of bad messages coming through my mind. A lot of bad self-talk that I, I picked up from youth. And I, you could be 60, 70 years old and still with you. Right? Uh, and you need to let God enter into that. And through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, uh, through good friends, through small group leaders, through pastors, through counselors, whoever God brings into your life, He's going to help you work through those very, very deep things that are down there that you don't even want to think about. But in order to be really spiritually and emotionally healthy, you've got to bring that junk up. And you've got to let Jesus process that. And that, that's, what, that's what's difficult about this series, is that you need to start working on things. And hopefully by the end of this series, you'll be on the, the road. It's going to take you probably a while to work through those things. But at least hopefully God will inspire and motivate you to start the journey, whatever that journey might be for you, to bring transformation and spiritual health and emotional health into uh, your lives. So we'll talk about this more next week. We're going to go in depth on this, talking about that, because our family of origin impacts us so much, and it can really put a damper on our spiritual lives and our emotional lives. And I know some of you are saying, I don't want to talk about this emotional therapy kind of thing. Well, friends, it impacts your daily life and your daily thinking. And some of it, a lot of it is sinful in terms of the patterns that you picked up, in terms of how you think about life and how you think about yourself. So you need to, you need to get it on the table so Jesus can help you deal with it so you can live more like, like him. All right? All right. So that was the first one he cut through. And notice what David says in verse 29. He says, now what have I done, said David. Has anybody said that this past week? <laughs> That's a good line, right? We all say that. Now what have I done? Can't I please you? <laughs> Can't I even speak? Now, if he was not healthy, if God wasn't the core of his life, he would have said, oh, you're right. I'm talking way too much and I've overstepped my bounds here. No, he said, ah, he then turned away to someone else. He just kept talking, right? And brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And so you can imagine how this went around the camp, right? Somebody wants to take on Goliath. Did you hear that? Some kid, I don't know. Some kid, he's a young kid, I don't know. But some, they've been sitting there for 40 days with no hope, no action. Everybody's crying in their tents. And all of a sudden, this young kid shows up and says, I'll do it for you. And uh, so to Saul's tent he goes. But that runs to the next obstacle. Significant others with authority and experience. They sometimes can uh, send you the wrong messages. We look at verse 32. David said to Saul, <clears throat> Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So David just steps into the tent and says, I am the man. Was it because of pride? No. It was, it was because of the confidence that he had in God and the confidence that God had given him in himself. David knew himself. Uh, so it goes on to say, uh, Saul replied, so, so here's Saul, the warrior. He was a warrior of all wars. He was the expert. You know experts, right? We all go to experts for certain situations and conditions uh, in our lives, and we listen very closely. And there's nothing against wise counsel. I mean, God says, hey, if you have an issue, you need to pursue what I say and what other people who know the words say. Get wise counsel. 
So David is listening. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. So finally, Saul has a candidate for Goliath after 40 days. And David steps up, and Saul sizes him up. No, don't think so. Not going to work. Going to die. We're all going into slavery. <laughs> and uh, he says, listen, listen, son, I admire your courage. I admire, you know, your desire. But, you know, you're just a kid. You, ha- you haven't even been in battle. And David was telling him how he killed a lion and a bear. I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, uh, but at the same time, hey, that, that's different than Goliath. He's bigger than a lion or a bear. And so uh Saul says, listen, you're a kid. This Goliath, he's been around for years. Uh, he knows his stuff. He's a giant, by the way. <laughs> okay? And uh, it's just not going to work. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Maybe it was a teacher. A teacher who told you early on, you just don't have the capacity for that particular uh, work, for that career. You don't have the skill. Uh, you don't have the intelligence to do that. Now, Albert Einstein, when he was 10 years old, was told by his teacher, uh, you're not going to amount to much. Yeah, you know, Elvis Presley, in 1954, uh, was just traveling around the different clubs, making a name for himself. And one of the managers said, You're never going to make it. You might as well go back and drive a truck. Now, how would our lives be different today if Elvis had never lived? Well, I don't know about you, but we wouldn't have a place to go every summer when we go on our pilgrimage to Graceland. (laughs) Nah, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you know, coaches, teachers, other influential figures in your life outside... They mean well sometimes. Sometimes they don't mean well. But they just say such flippant things. And when children and teenagers and college students are are so young, they listen. And that puts a cap on them. And say, I guess I can if the expert says it. Now, again, we do need to listen to these people and consider them. But that's where, again, cultivating this interior relationship with Christ is so important because... When you've got Jesus Christ at the center and you're depending upon Him and He's helping you to see life clearly, then you can take all this counsel that flows from other people and say, well, that's, that doesn't you know, square with what God's Word says. Jesus isn't speaking the same thing to me. Okay? So, so David just says, you're wrong, Saul. <laughs> Here's the king of Israel, right? You're wrong, Saul. You know, I can do this. I can take this on. So that's another thing uh, you might want to reflect upon this week in terms of there. I mean, as I as I speak, I would encourage you to write these things down. I mean, when I was talking about the family, first thing that comes to mind that your mom or dad would say to you and says, yeah, that really kind of messed me up. Write that down and take that to God in prayer and say, you know, God, please help me to work through this. Uh, give me insight and wisdom from others in doing that. And, hey, listen, parents, you know, we try to do our best, you know, right? We all make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I think of my three boys, and I don't know how they I messed up their lives. 
I'll find out in about 10 years, I guess, <laughs> or maybe sooner. We'll see. Uh, you know, I mean, I did my best through God's power, but I'm just another sinner teaching another sinner <laughs> you know, with the power of Christ. But so, so, again, we need to be careful not to blame our parents for everything, but we do need to deal with what God brings uh, to us. So, uh, again, write those things down and bring those to God. Just listen to God. See what he has to say to you. All right. So the last challenge, and this is the one we usually think of, we, we usually don't think about is family and significant others saying you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, you're worthless. Uh, he blew through that because he had that interior relationship with Christ. So now he gets to Goliath. Goliath. All right. Now, Saul says, okay, if you're going to go out there, you've got to get suited up. You've got to have armor. This is, uh, you know, basic military uh, uh, information. So, verse 42, he looked David over and saw that he was only a, a boy, ruddy and handsome, and despised him. I'm sorry, I've got to go back to another verse. Excuse me. First Samuel 17:39. David fastened on his sword over the tunic. So, he's trying on Saul's armor. Uh, walk, tried walking around. Comical sight, you know, this younger guy, uh, probably smaller than uh, Saul, we're not sure. But, you know, he's trying to get around in this armor that he's never worn before. He says, I cannot go on these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. He says, I haven't proven these in any type of uh, wrestling with a bear or any type of warrior. I mean, this is not a good weapon for me, in a sense. This is not going to protect me. This is going to hinder me. Uh, so he took them off. He said, no, Saul, this guy had such confidence, right? And, and you know, oh, I could never have that kind of confidence. Well, I tell you, you let Jesus Christ work in your life and the confidence builds. Not because of you, because of what Jesus Christ is doing in you. Uh, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from his stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Now, usually, when a lot of people teach this story, saying, oh, what an incredible miracle that David killed Goliath with a slingshot from Toys R Us. How do you like that? Unbelievable. First time he picked up a slingshot and he used to just shoot tin cans and now he's going after Goliath. <laughs> what they don't understand is that a slingshot was a very serious weapon, just like a gun we'd have today. I mean, you could do real damage as we see in this story. It just wasn't a toy and David had used it, of course, to kill uh, different predators that were around the sheep and uh, he he was an expert. There were whole troops that just had slingshots, and they went out and, and did battle. So, I mean, this was a deadly weapon that David had. So, so David had confidence in himself. First of all, he had confidence in God, and he knew that this giant was trashing God. And, and he was so upset about that. And he also knew he was very good with a slingshot. So he kind of you know, put things together. And it wasn't like, well, I'll just take this slingshot and hope God does something. No, he said, no, I'm pretty good with a slingshot. I can take that guy down. I can hit him right in the middle of the forehead. No doubt about it. Because he had that confidence from God. So he went into the battle like that, and he won. No big surprise. Right to David, at least. I don't think David was kind of like, going, what happened there? How did Goliath die? I mean, am I that good a shot? I don't. And he said, okay, yep. God's behind me. I got a skill here, and I can do it. And you see, this is another thing uh, that we'll continue to talk about, is we need to know ourselves. That's what happens when Jesus moves into our lives 
in our interior life, we get to know who we are as people. You know, our gifts, our skills, uh, our weaknesses, our strengths, and those kind of things. And God infuses confidence through that. Uh, I tell you, the majority of people do not know themselves. They never time to reflect upon anything in life. They just keep on moving on autopilot. Uh, they never reflect unless it really gets serious, and they might take some time to reflect on something. But they never look at motives or anything. They just keep moving in life. And friends, that is going to cause all kinds of problems. So many people die never knowing what their life was about, never knowing who they were. Now, they were just always constantly responding to the environment, responding to other people's expectations. They let other people run their lives instead of having the confidence and knowledge of, okay, this is who I, who I am and this is what I'm going to do. Well, David had that after years of cultivating that relationship with God. Uh, so that's another thing we want to continue to pursue is knowing who are we really. Not, not what other people think about us using the social mirror uh, because that's very inaccurate. Uh, but let, let's put God mirror, God's mirror on us so that we can know who we really are. So David goes into battle. Uh, now, Goliath, it says in verse 42, looked uh, David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. I mean, after 40 days, finally, they sent out this kid. This I mean, come on. Uh, he's insulted. You, you've got to be kidding me. Is this the best that you have? Uh, he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me? With sticks, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods, all his false gods. And <laughs> yeah, uh, well, David, uh, uh, Goliath's pretty fired up here, and David's pretty fired up. Uh, and Goliath says, Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's trash talk for giants. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, David, because of all the things uh, that we talked about, and he wasn't going for the reward, he wasn't going for the notoriety, he wasn't going for the wealth, he uh, wasn't going for Michael. He was going because he wanted to glorify God. He wanted to honor God. God's name was being defamed on a daily basis to the Israelites, God's people. And he just couldn't put up with that. So that was his motivation, and that should be our motivation, to always defend the name of God, to teach people about God, and let them know what the truth is. So uh, we know that David triumphed. Verse 50, so Samuel triumphed, or David that is, triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. David was triumph, triumphal. Because God was at the center of his life. God was all about the interior of his life. He, he, he constantly was in communion with God, working with God. And then uh, he had confidence in his abilities. And God came through. And uh, it's a powerful, powerful story. So my question for you today is, what is your Goliath in your life? What is your Goliath? You know, is it a financial Goliath? I was talking with a single mom just last week and uh, financial pressures. Uh, it's a financial 
Diana was talking with a woman last night who goes to our church here, and for three years she's been doing tests to get a lung transplant. And they just told her that she no longer qualifies. That's a, that's a Goliath, right? Well, friends, uh, I know when we approach Goliath, we do everything the world says. We get information, and we talk to people who know we're in the know, and you know we get a lot of willpower up. But if you're really going to fight a Goliath, it's an inside job. You've got to start right here. So I, I challenge you. Uh, this is the last thing here. Uh, pay attention to your interior silence and solitude. We'll talk more about that. Just spend time alone with God. Find trusted companions. Uh, move out of your comfort zone and pray for courage. We'll talk about that next week. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to wrap this portion up that we're going to communion. Uh, but I just want to say that I'm so grateful that you're here and really engage with this biblical material. And uh, let God speak to you in a special way. And uh, I encourage you to go for prayer after the service. We have our prayer center. They would love to encourage you. They would love to help you uh, in whatever challenges that you might have. If you're a guest after the service, stop by our welcome center to pick up uh, a gift. Uh, I want you to meditate on this verse. Uh, uh, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. Let's just take a minute. We're going to just take a minute to run over the whole verse. And just reflect upon that as we prepare uh, for communion. Okay? Let's spend some time with God. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for how you worked in our lives. And we want you to do new work in the interior of our lives. We want to open up rooms that you've never been in before. Uh, memories, experiences that we've buried. And it's painful, Lord. It's not easy. But we know that in order to live the life you desire, that We need to do this. We need to find out what is motivating us. Where are these sinful motivations coming from? I pray that you guide us through this process. Prepare our hearts for communion at this time. In Christ's name, amen.